welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. and welcome back to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm thrilled to be with you today. I hope you liked our opening music. It's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band. They're local here in Minnesota, but you can download their tunes on any of your favorite music platforms. For those of you that are new to our show, Alzheimer Speaks is about sound information, not just sound bites. We want to have real conversations with real people. So that means people living with the disease, that means their family, their friends, um, researchers, singers, songwriters, movie directors, authors, um, anyone who has something to say in this space is welcome here as long as we have a, a great conversation that's respectful to all opinions. So maybe, just maybe you can be our next guest. Reach out to me at radio at Alzheimer Speaks. I'd love to talk with you. I'm going to do a couple of shout outs before I introduce our guests today. Um, two are for some support groups that I work with. One is Arthur's Memory Cafe, which is virtual. So that means anybody anywhere can participate with us. We meet the second and the fourth Wednesday of each month at one o'clock central. So that would be two o'clock Eastern, uh, noon mountain time and 11 a.m. Pacific time. And um, we, have a, we have a great group who's been meeting a long time. Uh, they chose during COVID not to get back together because they didn't want to have to pull back if things got worse. So we have just stayed online and continue to connect and have fun and build camaraderie and support one another. So again, you are more than welcome to join us. And that is um, sponsored by Arthur Senior Care. The other one we do once a month, and that is sponsored by Brookdale North Oaks, and that is an in-person kind of caregiver connect uh, program that we do. And we meet the last Wednesday of each month at 10 o'clock at the Shoreview Community Center here in Minnesota. So needless to say, that's for locals. Um, if you are interested in either of those, just reach out to me at radio at Alzheimer Speaks, and I'll get you more information. And for those of you who haven't checked out Dementia Map, our global resource directory, please do so. There are tons of great uh, information and support and services and products listed there. People really like the activities area, um, especially with COVID. Uh, lots of great free stuff that you can tap into. I am going to just talk a little bit about Picnic Health. I don't know if you're aware of, of them. They're a, a new uh, research group. and you can go to picnichealth.com forward slash speaks. And when you register, you'll get $25. Now, Picnic Health, what they do is they collect your digital data of all your medical records and they put it into one online account, which is pretty cool. And then you can actually consent uh, to have researchers look over that information and that allows them to gather data that they wouldn't normally get from a regular clinical trial. And each of us, you know, our health history um, tells a story. And so, you know, that might help lend to a breakthrough. So if you're interested in that, again, go to picnichealth.com forward slash speaks. And you can also do this for, you know, a loved one or a client that you are working with, as long as you have the legal capabilities to, um, to sign for them. And uh, so check out picnichealth.com forward slash speaks. We're going to hear from the Foot Bar Walker, and then we're going to be right back with our guests. Introducing the life-changing Foot Bar Walker. I'm Peggy from Danville, Kentucky, and I'm 91 years old. The Foot Bar Walker revolutionized my care of George. It absolutely benefits the patient and the caregiver both, and that's the beauty of it. It's so easy to use. It folds up just like a dream. I got it in and out of the car without any effort at all. The saving that I made from having to put him in a nursing home came to about $192,000. Does someone you love use a walker? Do they struggle? 
struggle to get up from a seated position? Are you a caregiver dealing with physical pain and stress as you help your patient? The Foot Bar Walker was designed to assist not only the patient, but also the caregiver. Patients have more control standing up, and no lifting from the caregiver is required. See how it works at thefootbarwalker.com. That's thefootbarwalker.com. Peggy, would you recommend the Foot Bar Walker? Do I ever? I would not be in the health that I'm in today at this age had it not been for the Foot Bar Walker. So today I am thrilled to introduce you to Lindsay Harberson, Executive Director. She's the Assistant Residence in New York, and she's often the first person that families meet upon their introduction to the 80th Street Residence. Lindsay has actually been with the company for 15 years, which is pretty much unheard of these days, and she has helped hundreds of families navigate that difficult process of making a move from one's home into a community. So Lindsay, I am just thrilled to have you with us today. Um, Ever since we talked the first time, I was just like, oh my gosh, like I can't wait to have this conversation because it sounds like you guys are doing a lot of cool things at the 80th Street Residence. And so first of all, thanks for taking the time to be with us. I know an hour is a chunk of time, but I promise it'll fly by really quickly. So again, thank you and welcome to the show. Absolutely. My pleasure. I'm really excited to be here today to kind of talk about 80th Street and just, you know, what an interesting landscape, everything that's going on in the dementia world right now, you know. Um, Full disclosure, I am sitting in my office in New York City. I am located on the ground floor, so while I don't anticipate there's going to be a lot of background noise, you may occasionally hear a child or a dog outside, but uh, just wanted to give everybody the heads up. That's where I currently am, so. Okay, not a problem, not a problem. I know trash is usually (laughs) collected in the evenings. I remember that when when I've gone to visit a few times and stuff in the middle of the night here in the trash trucks, because... In Minnesota, that's not when we do it, but we are not as compact as you guys are either um, in the city. Well, yes. I, al- I always yes. like to start out by first asking if you've been personally touched by dementia in your own family or circle of friends. If you wouldn't mind sharing that, that's always helpful to our audience. Absolutely. So my grandmother, my Oma, is 82 years old currently, and she was diagnosed with dementia in her 70s. Um, At the time, we did not know she had dementia. We honestly just kind of thought she was getting a little eclectic in her older age and really loving life with my grandpa and just, you know, really socializing, always wanting to go out to the country club to have dinner. They lived in a sort of a retirement community. And as time went on, we realized, okay, you know, Oma is definitely, you know, not just being eclectic and eccentric, but something is going on here. Um, You know, with my grandfather being her primary caregiver, it was really kind of hard to encourage him to take her to the doctor and kind of get a workup and see what's going on. Um, And unfortunately, you know, she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. But what I will tell you is I actually just came back from Florida this past weekend. I spent a quick trip down there. I got to spend a few hours with her. She is in an assisted living residence now um, and she is happy. And that is really so important to us as family members. Um, So I have been touched. You know, my grandmother is a very special person to me. We lived with her when I was little. Um, We were one of those families where you had a multi-generational home and, you know, she's a very special woman. So I have definitely been touched by this disease personally. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing. And I, yeah. I love when you talk about, you know, being eclectic and well, maybe it's a little more than that because it's so easy for families to do that because nobody wants to go to dementia land. No, <laughs> no. not um, at all. And, um, you know, can I ask how, how did your grandpa do with, you know, let's get this diagnosis. Cause I know sometimes spouses really push back and they're just not ready to go there at all. He really struggled with it. You know, um, he was very protective of her and, you know, being an old school Italian man who, you know, worked his whole life and took care of everything, you know, and managed, you know, everything in their lives. I think when we saw that this was kind of out of his control and we needed to get it looked at, you know, it was really difficult for him. Um, 
and I will tell you, you know, it definitely took a toll on him. He unfortunately passed away two years ago, but the caregiving burden, you know, even with living in an assisted living facility, he took on everything, you know, and um, it was hard for him. And, you know, we supported as much as we could, but at the same time, it's their lives together and you can only do so much. So exactly, exactly. And it is about incorporating their wishes and respecting them. But, but then again, you got this safety line too, that you, you know, it's kind of a tight rope sometimes. Yes. Situation. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit more about 80th street residents and um, what are you guys all about? So we are a very, you know, special community. And I know there's so many incredible memory care assisted living facilities out there. But 80th Street Residence is the only entirely devoted cognitive impairment care community in New York City. Um, All we do here is support individuals living with cognitive impairment, different diagnoses, everything from mild cognitive impairment to Alzheimer's disease to we even have residents with Parkinson's disease, dementia, Lewy body dementia, and even vascular dementia. So we're really looking at a population of individuals living with different types of dementia and cognitive impairment. And what we do here is there's about 70 residents living here. So it's not a huge community. You know, we are a smaller boutique kind of setting and there's only about eight to 10 residents on each floor here, which I think is what's really special about us is that each floor is really set up to kind of be its own, its own neighborhood. You know, it's got its own living room, its own dining room, its own kitchenette. And we really incorporate the household model on each floor so that we've got these familiar spaces. Residents feel connected. They know these spaces. They know, okay, this is the living room. This is a safe space for me to sit and relax and maybe watch a program or listen to music. And here's the kitchenette. You know, if I'm hungry, I know I can come in here and get something to snack on. And it's, you know, it's really nice because with the eight to 10 residents on each floor, you are able to provide that individualized support. And I really think, you know, especially having been at other communities as well, I think when you get a little too big, you know, for for your unit or for your population, you lose that intimate setting and connection for people with cognitive impairment. So, um, you know, we have residents here. We really go across all stages, everything from, you know, mild impairment all the way up through the advanced stages. And I think that's another thing that really kind of sets us apart because, you know, I don't know about Minnesota, but I know, you know, in New York, there are many facilities that when you get to a certain stage, they might say, okay, well, at this point, you really meet the criteria for nursing home placement, you need to move to skilled nursing. When we applied for our license, we really made the conscious decision to say, if we're going to have somebody moving into our community with cognitive impairment, we really don't want to have that conversation with the family down the road that, okay, well, you know, they've been with us for however many years. Now you need to move to a nursing home. It's just, it's devastating. It's hard enough to make the move once and to have to do it again. It's just terrible all around. So we applied for really true aging in place so that our residents, if they become non-ambulatory, if they, if their wishes are comfort care and they want hospice brought in towards the end, we allow for all of that to take place here. So really supporting individuals across the entire spectrum and allowing them to remain here in their home throughout the disease progression. You know, I love that concept. I talk with so many people who have had to move their loved one. And like you said, it's difficult the first time, but then as the disease progresses, it's even harder because you can't explain it. You, you can't rationalize it. And, and now in COVID, a lot of times you can't even be there to support them through that transition. And that, that is devastating, not only for the person with the disease, but the family and friends as well. And, you know, I think my mom lived 30 years and, um, with the disease and she lived 14 of it actually in a community. And I think she lived that long because she felt part of the community. Yeah. 
yeah. versus having to start all over again. You know, you got to learn the clicks and the routines yes. and the personalities. And, and even if someone's in their end stages and they can't participate in some of those things that I just said, psychologically, they still are processing all of that stuff that it's not yeah. the same. And why am I here? And this doesn't look right. And, you know, where, where's the person who used to take care of me? And, you know, all of those, I mean, just think how scary that would be. It is, you know, it's interesting that you brought that up. It's, you know, it, we really rely a lot on feelings and, you know, I'm going to sound weird when I say this, but there's a certain vibe in 80th street. And it's a certain feeling that you have, whether you're on a floor with more independent residents or on a floor for residents who are in the more advanced stages, there's just a feeling you get in this building and it does continue throughout the entire space. And it's really important to have that. And it really helps the individual because even if they may not be able to verbalize how they're feeling, they can still get that sense of security it feels the same throughout the building. Yeah. Well, I love that, you know, being feelings focused or what I call, I call it emotional based care. And we hear a lot about person centered care, but what I found person centered care has gotten overused and underdelivered, and it's really task oriented much more so than then making somebody feel at home. And I know there are people out there listening, probably wanting to slap me upside the head going, that's not true for us. But for the majority of communities and businesses, I think it is. And yeah. granted, there's exceptions to all of that. But I, I don't even like using the term person centered, because I, I think it skews things to a to do list, which it again, does gets people focused on tasks. I, I like to use the relationship based, but I love the, the feelings focused because that's, that's the key to happiness for all of us. It How is. Do you feel? Yes. You know, do feel people feel comfortable? Do they feel safe? Do they feel included part of the community? Um, are they engaged? I, those things are huge. I mean, when it comes to caring for me later on down the road, those are the things I want people to focus on. Not does she look great and are her teeth brushed and not that those things aren't important, but I want my comfort to come first. Yes. And, you know, I think it, that's a lot of the struggle that some families face sometimes. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times, you know, families want to know that their loved one is getting the very best care, which is true. You know, it is happening. But there are also going to be times where they're going to say, well, why aren't they at the holiday concert? Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? We tried to go to the holiday concert, but your brother, your mother, your sister, they were not feeling it today, you know, and we yeah. have to get to know the resident and really meet them where they're at, because there are going to be times they're going to love to go to the holiday concert and sing along to every song. And there are going to be times where, for whatever the reason, it's just not right for them at that moment. And we have to respect that. We have to rely on what they're telling us, too. Well, and I think we have to think to ourselves, you know, like a lot of times people are like, well, why aren't they dressed today? Well, how many times have you stayed in your jammies or not yes. taken a shower? Cause you just didn't want to, you just wanted one day to binge watch TV or do whatever. They have that same right. And, you know, even though events are fun, they can mm -hmm. get scary for people with sometimes with dementia, you know, what they hear is different than what we hear. And those sounds can be way louder than what we hear or the flashing lights or, you know, all the changes that are the movement, all of that overstimulation can, you know, for many just be way too much. And it so is. understanding that um, is really important. And I think it's important for families too, even when they do family gatherings. Um, you know, we used to do them, we used to take my mom out and bring her home. And that worked great for a while. And, but then her home really turned into her community. And so she wasn't as comfortable at my house, which was hard from a daughter's standpoint going, oh, and, and right away you go to, what did I do wrong? And it's, no, you didn't do anything wrong. It's the disease. And it's not about me and my family. It's about my mom being comfortable. So then we started bringing kind of the party to her and we did it differently. 
Mm-hmm. And it, worked, it worked out just fine. And, you know, we were still all able to create memories, but it's really being conscious about that. And I think having a, a residence like 80th Street that really understands that and can explain that to families yes. makes it easier for everyone. Um, yes. I, I do want to ask you, you know, you've been with 80th Street for 15 years, which is pretty much unheard of in this day and age. Um, why? What keeps, <laughs> what, what keeps you there? Um, there's got to be a, a silver bullet there. There is, you know, I would say, I mean, especially over the last, you know, almost two years, it obviously the pandemic has changed this landscape greatly, but, you know, I would say that I have been here for so long because of who we are as a community. And when I use the word community, you know, I'm not just talking about the residents who live here. I'm talking about their families who we collaborate with. We are partners with the families and we make that very clear from the beginning. You know, we don't know all the answers, but we are willing to put the work in, get creative and evolve as we need to with your loved one to support them. And I think the collaboration is key. I think also the fact that we're a mom and pop shop, you know, we are not part of a corporate chain. We have two private owners. Um, It's a small facility and we have been blessed with the ability to really bring ideas to the owners and make suggestions and we can make changes. And, you know, in this environment, you know, we know that there's no cure for dementia, but we know that there are certain things we can do to enhance quality of life. And if that means we want to partner with, you know, different activities vendors and be bringing them in to provide more support for the residents, or maybe we want to partner with a bio, you know, biosecurity company to come in and help us with infection control during COVID, you know, we can do these things because the owners say, yes, let's do what we need to do rather than going up that corporate chain and not being able to do what we really want to do. So I think that's part of it too, you know, being able to evolve and change with the changing landscape and with our residents is very important. Um, It's a special place. And a lot of the staff has been here for a long time. It's not just me, you know, Claire Shanley, who's our executive director, she's been here for 15 years. Uh, Jackie Liebau, who is our social worker, she actually started here about six years ago. She was our activities director and went back and got her master's in social work while working here. And uh, she's our social worker case manager now. She's also the mommy to our house dog, Eloise, who is a great Dane, one year old. Um, Eloise is our pet therapy dog who's here Sunday through Thursday. And it's just It's really nice to be in a collaborative environment where we know we're doing the best we can do every possible day for the residents and for their families and friends. Yeah, I I so get the piece about being part of the mom and pop shop where you're actually heard. And I would imagine not just you are heard, but families are heard as well in terms of what's going on. Um, Critical aspect. That's one of the things I love about my job is, well, I'm it, you know, <laughs> and, but, but being able to be creative and think out of the box and do things that aren't being done out there, um, truly, you know, listening um, and, and implementing what you hear, you know, the best, the best you can. Uh, there's nothing better than that. You know, you talked about the, the other long-term um, staff that are there, the consistency of care is is wonderful, but I would say the consistency of relationships is even more important because everybody has a checklist and everybody has a job description and that can be consistent. But when you know the resident history, when you know your staff history, mm-hmm. that's powerful stuff. You know, then you're getting to the nitty gritty and you're really able to, to build a team that, that is um, oiled well and works, works good together. And and to me, that's the sweet spot. That's the, that's where the magic really comes into play. Um, You know, you mentioned, you know, a few things about what sets you apart from other memory care communities. What, what are, um, you know, you've, you've got a lot of stuff going on there. I mean, one, I was shocked when you said, you know, we're really the only one in New York, you know, doing this and, in Minnesota, we have all different types of levels and all different types of communities. And, and we have communities that say you can stay here forever. And then all of a sudden, oh, no, you can't. 
you know, and people go, but you said, yeah. and, and that's a, that's a common thing and a big struggle for people. Um, and usually it has to do with um, maybe a behavior. Um, but I think a lot of times that behavior isn't dealt with because the staff isn't consistent and they don't know the relationships. They don't know the trigger points. And then all of a sudden it's out of hand and someone goes to the hospital for a behavior and then they're like, nope, you can't come back. And, and families are just distraught over that. So what are some things that, that really make you different? Some other, are there some other points that you wanted to make about the, the care in the community? Definitely. You know, I think, you know, honestly, a big part of what sets us aside, you know, besides sort of our physical layout and these neighborhoods and just the ability to age in place, we've got a lot of different support systems put into place for residents. And they may not all necessarily need them from the get go, but maybe down the road, it's something that can support the residents. So we really feel very strongly with partnering with clinical support. You know, we have nurses here 24 hours a day, but it's really important to have those physicians that can come in and support. So we have a internist who's here weekly. We have several geriatric psychiatrists who come in. And the reason we have several is because you know, maybe one psychiatrist might do better with this particular resident where the other psychiatrist who does more talk therapy might be a better fit for this resident. Um, we want to look at each person and, and really pair them up with the right fit. We have a podiatrist who will come in. We have dental support that comes in. But I really think probably another big support that's important for the residents is physical therapy, occupational therapy, and also a speech language pathologist who does cognitive therapy support for the residents. And that really is huge for a lot of the residents because it not only helps them feel a little more independent and empowered, but it also helps our staff. You know, the staff will learn, okay, Lindsay needs a 30 second pause in between offering controlled choices. Um, so these clinical, you know, experts who come in are really supportive, not only for the residents, but for the staff and the family, because now if we have a resident who maybe is having more tremors when they're trying to feed themselves, rather than saying, okay, you know, we have to feed them, what can we do? Can we offer finger food choices instead where we don't need to use the utensils? Can we offer special weighted utensils where it's a little bit easier, might cut back, you know, the tremors for that resident? it really provides us with additional expertise that we can provide to the family as well. And, you know, not only is the clinical support important and sets us apart, but I also think the innovation and creativity among the staff. Um, we do have a weekly case management meeting here where we all get together and we literally go through our entire resident roster and just discuss each resident. And what's important for us is that, guess what? Activities is there. Food service is there. Wellness is there. Um, we really get to talk about them in all aspects of their lives. And it's a great way for us to be proactive and say, okay, well, Lindsay is, you know, wanting to stay in bed more. This is really out of the ordinary for her. She's usually up early. She likes her coffee and she, you know, usually starts her day. And now she doesn't want to get out of bed until 10. Well, we can report that right then and there to wellness and say, let's see, is something going on with Lindsay? Do we need a lab workup? What can we do to be proactive and avoid those trips to the hospital that we all know are so detrimental and devastating for residents with cognitive impairment? So I think the collaboration, innovation, and just constant communication is so important. And we're able to do that again, because we are a small community. When you had mentioned you have multiple Jerry Sykes, I just want people in your community and others to know, lucky, because Jerry Sykes are really hard to come by. And to be able to have that flexibility within your within your community, people need to know how special that is. That is yeah. massively huge. Um, and when you can get someone who can, you know, work with, I hate calling them behaviors, um, but those reactions that aren't desired or are changes and you're, you're kind of figuring out what's behind them, you know, how do we work with that? That is key to, to happiness and calmness and, and keeping everybody on the same page. 
um, really, really big. And I, and I love all of the various clinical supports. I'm going to mention one thing that um, might be of interest to you. I'll, I'll just give, give uh, them a plug. It's called the Alzheimer's Research Project, and it's through music. And actually, it's part of Dementia Map, our global resource directory that you're on. Um, but she is offering, you know, for people to participate in a trial free and it has with teaching them how to play p piano, even if they can't play, you can put their hands in this pattern. She's had amazing results from people from people um, who, you know, weren't communicating to all of a sudden telling her after three or four sessions, it doesn't your back hurt, Do you need to go get a chair. And everybody's, you know, jaw just drops that she A, remembered and B, uh, said a whole sentence that was totally appropriate or somebody with Parkinson's who was having difficulty um, shaking and walking and now they're, now they're moving around without a walker, without any assistance. And um, Patty uh, Carlson, she's a very well-known, renowned writer, musician. Um, she's produced, uh, you know, a ton of music for, for movies and things, but she's pulled back. She's in Colorado now, and she's just focusing on this. And she's had great progress with Alzheimer's disease and all ADHD, all different types of things. And so, you know, if you've got a piano around, it might be something just to, just to try. Music is incredible. I mean, it's so powerful for people across sort of all the different spectrums of dementia. And I'm definitely going to look into it because we've seen it here, you know, the right tunes for the right individual and, you know, one-on-one -on -one sessions versus group sessions, you know, it's so powerful for so many people. I'm definitely going to look into that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And she's, she's just a sweetheart. You know, she's like, I, I don't know what the deal is. She thinks it's kind of almost a code for what she's having people play and how she's having them do it. But even just placing somebody's hand on and pushing their fingers down mm -hmm. on it, they get engaged, you know? Um, but I think it's kind of to one of the things I learned was even just taking somebody's picture, someone who was just kind of in their chair with their head down, they wouldn't participate, they didn't seem very engaged, but they would hear, you know, cheese, and then they would look up because that's ingrained in their past. And you can't take a picture of somebody and not be engaged. And so when I was taking pictures of my mom, I saw everybody else kind of come alive, almost like the movie Cocoon, where they just kind of all bubbled up. <laughs> And, you know, I realized you don't even have to have film in your camera or you can have your phone. It's, it's just that moment in time. And so there's so many little things that we can do to, to help people out. But I, I love all of the different layers that you guys have and that you're open to, to changing things. Uh, let's talk about the pandemic because there have been a lot of horror stories during the pandemic. And I think everybody's had their own, but how have you adapted or have you not needed to adapt the way you serve people? So we, we have had to adapt, you know, we are located in New York city. So at one point in time, we were really the epicenter of this pandemic. And, uh, you know, thinking back to March 2020, um, you know, our governor at the time, Governor Cuomo, sort of shut everything down very abruptly. It was kind of like, okay, everybody's closed to visitation. You know, the hospitals were full. It was really just unfamiliar, unchartered territory and chaos. And uh, what we did here, I mean, luckily, our executive director had been stockpiling PPE. And at the time we all said like, we think you're you know, exaggerating a little here. We don't think we're gonna need all this, but lo and behold, look where we are, where we are and what happened. So yeah. two years we, later, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, who knew, who knew? And so we had a lot of supplies, you know, on hand. One of the biggest challenges for us was being closed to visitation and having no control over that whatsoever. You know, even if we had no COVID cases in the building, the state of New York really just closed visitation for everywhere as a stopgap measure to try and keep the virus from not coming into facilities. So we understand why, but it was absolutely heartbreaking. You know, you have these residents who rely on seeing their loved ones, their connections, you know, on a regular basis and not being able to see them. We 
bought so many tablets, so many laptops, you know, everybody got well-versed in Zoom, FaceTime, you know, Alexa calls, drop-ins. I mean, really trying to make sure everyone from the caregivers on the floors to recreation, every department knows how to use these devices because we got to set up calls every day for these residents. We got to help them connect with their loved ones. My office, I mentioned I'm on the first floor. My office became a hub for visitation. We would bring residents down here for window visits so that they could see their loved ones. Um, you know, when we did have COVID cases in the building, we converted one of our floors to a COVID unit, you know, where residents were able to be there. Because again, with dementia, now you have residents who may not necessarily comply with isolating in their room. And you may not have residents who will comply with wearing a face mask because they don't understand or it feels weird to them and strange. So we really had to, you know, get creative with what we were doing to keep residents safe and well cared for. Um, I want to say one of the other really big things that we did that I think made a huge difference, especially for our staff, we hired a driver 24 hours a day. We had a driver go and pick our staff up and bring them home. Um, we packed food for them so they could bring food home to their families. You know, a lot of the kids, they weren't in school anymore. So now you're coming to work, you're in this, you know, unfamiliar territory of what's going on in a pandemic and you have to support your family still too. Your kids are home. They don't have school. They're on computers themselves. I mean, we really felt supporting our staff was the best thing we could do because we just had to, we all had to come together and do what we possibly could to take care of each other in this scary time. Um, you know, luckily with the way that we are set up because each floor is small, slowly but surely we were able to do group dining still on the floors. We were able to do some small group programs on the floor. Um, we did qualify for the federal program for vaccinations. So actually in January of 2021, we were one of the first facilities in New York to get vaccines. So we achieved a 100% vaccination rate among our residents and our staff. And that wow. is that, you know, Claire, who I mentioned before, our executive director, she said to the staff, you know, this is this is your duty. If you want to work at 80th Street and you want to take care of our residents, I'm mandating that you get this vaccine. And, you know, only now we're seeing a lot of this controversy around mandating vaccines, you know, in the news and stuff. But at the time, we all felt this is what we have to do to keep people safe and keep ourselves safe. So um, we did that and we we achieved a hundred percent vaccination rate early on in, in all of this. So we were one of the first facilities to reopen to uh, visitation because we met what was required for the state of New York. And once we reopened to visitation, it was like, we could breathe again. You know, it was, we can see our families because we miss them too. You know, um, the staff really knows the families. We miss them. And it was important to see them, um, you know, I think it was hard for many of them when they did come back in to see their loved ones and, you know, see that there has been a change. It's been a year almost since they saw their loved ones. But, you know, communication was important. We had weekly mailings to the families, you know, email blur blurbs and, you know, blasts. And we still had care plan meetings virtually. I mean, communication was really key for us. But, um I think it made us all take a step back and really make sure not only are we taking care of our residents, but each other too. Wow. Um, how you guys pivoted is unusual out there. So I want to, I want to make sure that people understand that as well. Uh, there are a lot of companies in our nation that thought this was going to pass in a month or two mm -hmm. and they didn't convert, you know, they weren't, they, they weren't doing the PPE, they, you know, they didn't have that stuff stockpiled. They didn't institute the technology and get everybody on board. I mean, that is, you're really the first one that I've heard say this was a priority. Everyone needed to learn. My office was used for that. We use this for that. You know, I mean, you guys were really flexible in terms of um, assessing things. And I was floored when you said you had a driver. 
for your staff. Yes. Uh, what a beautiful way to support people because I know, you know, transit was kind of in a flux too. Can I even get home? Where do I stay? Now I have to go grocery shopping, you know, sending them with food. So again, they don't have to maybe go out and pick something up other than groceries when they come home and bring it, you know, or bring it to their family. Just being able to have that peace of mind and that one less thing um, says so much about your company and, yep. and really about caring about the health of everyone. That's pretty spectacular. And then I don't think I've heard anyone say they've had a hundred percent vaccination anywhere with staff and residents. Uh, and I talk to a lot of people all around the world. Again, these are huge, huge things that you guys should be really, really proud of. And, yep. you know, hopefully families and people who are considering, you you know, 80th Street uh, as a future home for a loved one understand that those are big, big differences. And, you know, I could even hear in your voice in terms of we still needed to connect with these families. A lot of people, you know, were short staffed and they didn't. They didn't communicate with families and families didn't know what was going on. And you're saying, hey, we're sending something out weekly and, you know, we're, do, we're, we're working on all these different levels in terms of communication. It wasn't just our system is the only system. And so that's pretty cool as well with all of that. Wow. I really, I knew I was going to be impressed with this conversation, but I, I really, really, truly am extremely impressed with how you guys worked. And I know just watching over TV, what you guys were all going through. And I mean, really the snowball hit you guys first in terms of what was going on and how serious it was. And, and not that it didn't out in Washington with some of the, the senior care and stuff, right. but, but um, Cuomo really was kind of leading the pack that voice of communicating. If you, if you like them or don't like them or, you know, whatever, you know, your politics were, it was still, trying to explain what's really going on and, and yes. how it was moving forward. I think, you know, leadership like that, um, you know, you have to accept it for what it is. You know, you're trying to do your best with something you don't know anything about. And it sounds like what 80th Street was doing as well and getting really creative to make things easier on everybody. Yes, you know? we have. You know, it's like, we're all in this together and we don't know what this is right now. We don't know what tomorrow is going to be. We don't know what is going to happen to our residents, to their families, to our families. Like we're coming here every day, you know? And that's the other thing is that, you know, everybody else in my life was home, you know, whether it was my spouse or my friends or or, you know, colleagues, you know, a lot of people were working remote, but when you work in healthcare, there, that's, that's not a possibility. So, no. you know, here we are coming every day into sort of this epicenter and we had to take care of each other and yeah. had to keep our families connected to their loved ones. It was just the right thing to do. That's what you do when you're in a crisis, you take care of each other. Well, what a, what a beautiful, beautiful um, philosophy. What are some advice you would give our listeners about struggling to make a decision in terms of placing a loved one? I know, again, that has changed even with COVID in terms of, I don't know if I want them to live in a community and because I might not be able to check in on them. Um, but, and, and I know some people have pulled people out of a community as well, thinking that they could care for them better, not always realizing or appreciating that they were placed for a reason. And sometimes we forget that reason <laughs> until they're, they're back home with us. So, um, and I know everybody's situation is different, but what are, what are some tips that you would give uh, families? So it's, you know, I have always taken the approach with families, you know, I'm a resource, you know, yes, I am usually the first one that families will meet when they come into tour, when they're looking for information, but I really want to make sure that I'm a resource for families because every call that I get or every tour that I do, the person may not necessarily be ready for this. Okay. And I always tell them, you will know when the time is right. You'll know. And they said, well, how will I know? And I usually tell them, you will know. It will be a couple of different things that may happen, but you'll know when the time comes. It might be that you feel your loved one might 
you know, do better with a more social environment. Maybe they're becoming really isolated in staying home with caregivers. Maybe the socialization is going to be the driving factor. Maybe it is the care factor. Maybe you have somebody now who is up at night. And now if, if you're the spouse who's there, you're up at night because your loved one is up at night and you can't sleep. Or maybe there's another reason that the care needs better support. Maybe it's because physically this person needs more support and it's really no longer a one person assist. Maybe mm-hmm. we're looking at a two person assist. There's a number of reasons that somebody will feel like, okay, the time has come for me to do this. Um, we really don't take the approach of, well, you need to do this now, because the truth is each person is going to know when their loved one is ready to do a move like this. All we can do is support them and say to them, you know, if you're thinking about it, this is how your life is going to be different. If you move your loved one to 80th street aspects, A, B, and C might be better, but you know, D and E you can do at home. So, you know, there's always going to be pros and cons with everything. We also make it sure that families know when they are considering this, this is a partnership. It's a collaboration. You know, we can do the best job we can do, but we need your help. We need to know who was your loved one before this disease? You know, what's their, what was their childhood like? Who, what were their comforts? What, what distresses them or, you know, might be a trigger for distress or anxiety for them? You know, what, what were some of the things that they really loved in life and what are some of their strengths rather than focusing on what we can't do anymore? Let's focus on, well, they can still help do this. You know, I'll give them the broom and they will help sweep the kitchen for me, you know? So we really want to partner with the family because the truth is they know who their loved one is. And if we can get as much information as possible to add to our tool belt, it's going to be a more successful transition. Um, You know, you can't please everybody. We know that, but That's also why that collaboration is so important because we can say to the family, listen, this is where we think we can be really successful with your loved one, but you're going to need to have to meet us halfway because this is where we think, you know, your loved one will be okay, but you may have difficulty with this aspect. So we have the family support group. We have different people you can speak with who have been through this before you make that decision, you know, to make a move because The truth is we want every move to be successful. And in order to do that, you've got to support the family. You've got to support the resident. And I think too, you know, there are going to be cases where a social residential setting is not going to be the right fit for everybody. That's, Mm -hmm. that's true. You can't move every resident in. And if you can acknowledge that you might not be the right fit, you should tell that to the family. You should say, I don't think this is really going to be the right thing for your loved one, but here are some other resources. And whether that is a different home care agency, whether that is a support group out in the community, or, you know, even connecting them to groups like hospice, if their loved one is, you know, really in those advanced stages and, and hospice might be on, on sort of the forefront, be honest with them and say, you know, yeah. rather than moving them here, to put them onto hospice. If that's what you want to do, we'll do it. But was the goal always to keep them at home? And can you do that realistically? So, you know, I think knowing who your clients are and who your audience is and trying to help them the best way you can, that's the best thing you can do in terms of helping someone decide if they should move or not move. Um, You got to be honest because it is a partnership. Yeah. You know, when you were mentioning all the different factors from socialization to level of care to you know, it could be wandering or, you know, it could be the, the care partner's health has changed too. A lot of times that goes downhill and they just can't do what they used to be able to do and they have to take care of themselves. Um, it, you know, it could be that the support they had isn't, isn't there anymore uh, that, that they relied on to be able to do yes. the job. There's, um, you talked about kind of life stories and, and incorporating some of that stuff too, in terms of um, supporting, you know, family support groups and, and things. And I'm just going to give a plug. I don't know if you've heard of life bio, but they really help capture um, stories and it's an app people can download. And it's a great tool, not only for families to engage, because sometimes they're like, what do I say family and friends? They don't know 
what to say, but it's also a great tool for staff to be able to get that history out and to be able to record things. And, and that might be something too during COVID that can help families know that you're engaging, you're learning about them, and then you're sharing some of those stories, you know, with them as well. Uh, there's, there's just so much that we can do and that we need to do differently. Do you guys do respite at all for families that maybe want to test it out or need a break or? So we usually, if we're going to do, we usually call it a trial stay. We don't okay. call it respite because okay. sometimes people will call and say, oh, well, can we do respite for a week? You know, mm-hmm. and we just feel like that's not fair to the individual, to be mm-hmm. honest, you know, take a resident from their home environment, bring them to a facility for a week. You know, it's going to be distressing for them. They're in an unfamiliar environment, you know, strangers are around them. And by the time that they start to sort of have a rhythm in this new environment, then they're going back home. So mm-hmm. we have always said to families, if you want to try and do a trial, we, we are open to it, but we would always recommend at least a month because we feel that a month is usually the time frame when you see somebody really truly start to sort of get into their new routine. They've adjusted to the environment. And then I feel families can also get a good snapshot of, okay, you know what? This is working out how they said it was going to work out. And you know what? This, this really is all true, what they said. They've, got, they've had more time to realize who 80th Street is, you know, the staff, the care. And I think at that point, they can really make that decision of, okay, do I want to do this long-term or am I ready to bring my loved one home? I think it's more of a fair assessment after a month. Yeah, I, I would agree, you know, month, even two months for, for some people to adjust. But um yeah, to yeah. you gotta you have to let it play out because it's gonna be hard on both parties, especially if they're uh, let's say an older couple and they've always lived together maybe for 60 years or something like that. That's that's gonna be traumatic on on both. Um, but getting yeah. into that rhythm and learning to trust that someone else can care and allowing them to kind of get back to their relationship level. Um, can be a really, really beautiful thing. I know with my mom, um, you know, when I was, I was in residential real estate for 25 years and I always helped people transition. And it was really easy for me to do that with others, you know, and I could talk very confidently. And then it was time for my own mom. And I'm like, well, no, I'll just keep her with with us. (laughs) And I turned into a typical daughter and I remember my, my dad ended up getting sick and uh, he had brain cancer, but he took a fall down two flights of steps and he had to move into a nursing home and he couldn't, um, he couldn't live on his own anymore. My mom, of course, moved in with us because she couldn't live independently. And about two, three weeks into it, my mom, who couldn't pick out if she should wear snow boots or flip flops for the day, woke up. Claire Isabel and said, I want to move into the nursing home. You know, my jaw dropped down to the floor going, but that's not the plan. You know, the control came out of, we, you know, we met with the financial planners. We met with everybody and their brother. We discussed this, you know, why do you want to change, change plans? And she said in just this calm, loving fashion, we've been together 49 and a half years, Lori, and I'm not leaving them now. And my heart just melted. It's like, one, how did she remember that? And, you know, it was like, okay, I'm going to make this happen. And so, you know, I called um, the nursing home and they said, well, we'll, my dad had a roommate. They said, well, we'll move him out and mom can move in there. And I said, no, she doesn't have to watch him die because we'll we'll lose both of them, you know? And so they said, well, where do you want her to be? And I said, I want her on the highest functioning floor because she's so social. And I said, but she needs to have one meal Mm -hmm. and one activity every day on that floor. And then the rest of the time I had flexibility. I could just bring her up, you know, to be with my dad because she couldn't maneuver floors or anything. And, you know, a couple of months later, you know, my dad had passed, but by then my mom had gotten so adjusted and she, she really just, um, she just blossomed being around peers And that's something I couldn't offer as a daughter, no matter how I tried, I couldn't be her peer. And to be able to see that in play uh, during an activity and things where she was so happy and just, oh, herself. And it was like, okay, 
I get it now. I get it now. But I didn't mm-hmm. totally get it until I saw that moment. And it was just such a powerful, powerful yeah. thing to to witness. Um, and I think part of it is our ego gets in the way thinking nobody can do it like I can do it. Even though you would never say that out loud, your inside kind of, kind of feels that way. And, and, and it's amazing. I mean, all of us like to have our, our circle of friends. And just because somebody has dementia, that doesn't change. It doesn't change. No. And, and my mom felt all of the staff were her friends. They weren't staff, you know, she would go for a walk and she went for a walk with her friends, you know, um, she had dinner with her friends. It was, it was just a really, really nice, peaceful thing that calmed my heart. And, and it was at that point that I could really be a team member with where she lived instead of going and looking for a problem because I have limited time and I got to make sure mom's life is good. So the only way to do that is to look for the problems. So I look for the problems, I'm going to find them, you know, yeah. but I wasn't looking for the good things. And that made a whole switch mentally for me to really look at the world differently and really look at, was my mom happy, safe and pain-free? Just really, really simple, simple things. So um, I, I'm so glad we had this conversation. Um, you are a, a very unique community out there that people really need to understand um, is delivering services um, differently. Um, yeah. You know, walking your talk um, with some communities out there, they have the talk down, but they're not walking the line of, of what their services are. And I know it's a complicated time. And um, you know, but when you have, and I, and I have to say kudos to the owners for yes. really, for really getting it um, and understanding that care is important and the levels that go into it and the voices that all need to be heard um, yes. and then taking action, not just saying, yeah, we'll listen, but we're not going to, we're not going to do a damn thing about it, <laughs> you know? Well, that- That's it. I mean, you know, to be able to have the owners that we have, Wayne Kaplan, Larry Moorhead, I mean, they are incredible to us. And I truly believe, you know, 80th Street would be a great residence, but not as great as it is without them. Because like I said, you know, it's all about innovation. It's about change and it's about supporting one another. And sometimes when you get that chain or that corporate facility, you don't have the ability to do that necessarily. So we are very blessed and we know that, you know, we're very lucky. Yep. I I totally agree because going up those levels and then a lot of times you can't pitch your, your project or your thought. And, you know, it's kind of like playing telephone. It's like, well, that's not even what I was talking about. (laughs) You know, no wonder they said no, (laughs) you know, or the priorities change of the person who's delivering it and you know, and, and it can take so long sometimes that you don't need it anymore. Now we, need, some, now we need something else. So um, having that direct communication in a timely fashion that's taken seriously is, is yeah. massive. Now people can get a hold of you um, through your website, which is 80th, and that's um, 80th, 80th Street Residence.com, Correct. or your email, which is L H A R. B I S O N at 80th street residence.com. And is is it okay to give out your phone number? Absolutely. Um, If anybody ever wants to call questions, whether it's about 80th street or anything else, you know, like I said, I love to be a resource for people. Uh, It's 212-717-8888. Okay, great. And then you guys are on Facebook and you're on LinkedIn by just looking up 80th street residents. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for your time today. I learned a lot and I have to say as a, as a professional in the industry, you and 80th street have given me a lot of hope. Oh, thank you so much for that. You know, it really was an honor to be here today with you, Lori. I love what you do. I mean, you're really making such a difference in this community and this field and people need it. People need the support. So, you know, I'm really happy to be able to be on here with you. I love what you're doing and hopefully we'll chat again one of these days. I would love to. I would love to uh, when I'm back to travel and come out to New York and and take a peek. 
and yes. at, at what you're doing and, and see it firsthand because it sounds absolutely amazing. So again, thank you from my heart. Appreciate it and have a wonderful holiday season. You too. Thank you so much. Take care. Uh, for our listeners, you know, please like, click and share. Don't keep this information private. This is uh, this was really important stuff that we talked about in terms of doing business different and really incorporating the resident, the staff, and the families in, in terms of working as a team through some really difficult times that, you know, some companies haven't managed well out there, but this is really kind of a stamp of excellence that, that people need to look at and maybe try to incorporate in their own companies. And, you know, if you're a family going, I'm not a company, but you might be dealing with another company that could learn about the examples that 80th Street has set. So check them out at 80thstreetresidence.com. They're also on Dementia Map. And if you want to reach out to me, maybe you want to be our next guest, just uh, email me at radio at alzheimerspeaks.com. Till next time. Thanks so much, everyone. Bye-bye.